0: Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series for leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive workplaces where people can do their absolute best. Each week I will interview a leader who epitomises the ability to empower others to lead and create amazing workplaces, environments and communities because of that skill. In these interviews I try as much as possible to let our guests do all the talking as they are the stars and not me. I trust you enjoy the lessons and wisdoms each guest shares. And if you're like me, listen to the interviews a number of times to capture some of the true gems of leadership we hear each week. Welcome to the next guest in the Courage to Lead interview series, Dr. Ali Walker. Ali Walker specializes in leadership, teams, culture, and workforce transformation. She is the adjunct faculty at the Australian Graduate School of Management at the University of New South Wales and a nationally accredited mediator. She's the founder and CEO of a company called Ality, A-L-I-T-Y, where she has designed personality assessments that identify your connection type and motivational drivers in relationships, teams and leadership. Ali is the best-selling author of three books. Her most recent one, in 2023 is titled Click or Clash. Her second book was called Get Conscious, How to Stop Overthinking and Come Alive, published in 2017. And the third book is Collective Consciousness and Gender, published in 2018. Ali has a PhD from the Australian National University with her thesis examining group behavior, i.e. culture, social psychology and international law. Some of the gems in this interview that Ali shared with us was the first one, the way leaders regulate themselves is picked up by others. Where you go, they will go. If you are feeling joy, that joy can be transferred and shared across a whole team. People who work in novel environments do better. And since 2015, there has been a shift in what happens in a workplace and what works in an organisation. Culture has become crucial to an organisation. In the words of Peter Drucker, famous management expert in the 1970s, culture eats strategy for breakfast any day. How people feel at work is essential to outcomes and productivity is linked to inclusion, having fun and being valued at work. And what we've learnt, through Ali's talk today and other, and other texts out there, is that when we keep on getting culture wrong, people will leave our organisation, people will feel bullied and will be bullied, and people's well-being declines. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. It was such a enlightening and such a simple context that Ali talked about today. Welcome to the next Courage to Lead interview series, Uh, Dr. Ali Walker, um, author of a beautiful book, which I've just finished reading called Click or Clash. And there's so much more about this wonderful person. Um, You've got a beautiful story to tell. So welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you. I hope it's beautiful. It's a story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Any, any guests that we have on the show, um, I always ask them two kind of, uh, I suppose you call them icebreaker questions. So the first question is, um, what was your first ever true experience of leadership and why? And it can be as a kid, you know, as a six-year-old, or it can be yesterday.
1: Okay. So do you mean with me as the leader or as someone else as the leader?
0: Whatever you want to do, uh, like it could be someone you you saw leadership in action, or it could have been you. Like I've I've had people answer this both ways. Like okay, so
1: I have I have two responses to this question, and one of them is my first experience of bad leadership or yes. poor leadership. Yeah, and the other one is my first experience of inspired leadership.
0: Beautiful. Okay,
1: so the first one is when I was in year one. Both of them are about me, by the way. That's uh, right. Because I think that's better. I think we experience leadership as as leaders ourselves or as as poor leaders ourselves. So I was in year one. I was six years old and I had introduced this game to my friends uh, based on the cartoon Rainbow Bright, which was a 1980s cartoon animated Uh, series about a girl with uh, who I don't know could dance on rainbows I can't even remember but it was my favorite show at the time and I said at school oh we should play Rainbow Bright and I wanted to be Rainbow Bright yeah
0: yeah. and
1: um, so there was one day after a couple of weeks of playing this game where I ran down to recess and saw my friends playing the game without me They'd started the game (laughs) and someone else was playing Rainbow Bright and I was outraged I was Mm. I was devastated because I thought, yep. hold on, that's my role, that's my yeah. idea, and so I went over and said, "You, and this is how six-year-old, well, this is how I behaved as a six-year-old. You can't be rainbow bright. I'm rainbow bright." And uh, and then someone rightly turned around and said, uh, "No, anyone can be rainbow bright." Yeah, yeah. And I could not believe it. Because I had I'd introduced the game, I'd played Rainbow Bride, I thought I'd been great at Rainbow. <laughs> Bride, and it was a really interesting experience of of poor lead- me as a poor leader yep. because I had experienced or anticipated that leadership was about control, getting what you want, influencing outcomes, and influencing outcomes to your own benefit. Yes, you know And so yes. so leadership had been wrapped up in control in my head. And obviously I didn't have the words for it back then. Yeah. And and we carried on the game and I played the other roles and it was just as fun. Yeah, so yeah. so in in now in my now understanding, modern understanding, what was happening there is I was being introduced to this idea of distributed leadership or complex leadership where everybody is a leader. Everybody can play different roles at different times and it's actually about understanding people's strengths and and giving making space for everybody to lead. So that was my first leadership lesson. My my the reason I wanted to raise another instance of of inspired leadership was when I was in year 11, so still at high school.
0: Yeah.
1: And the reason I'm not, I'm not giving myself a rap here saying that I was an inspired leader. I'm saying I felt inspiration and happened to be a leader at the time. So I was yeah. a music captain of my, at the high school that I went to, we did sort of like an athletics carnival except for music, yeah, which was yeah. the most fantastic, it was the highlight of my year every year. Yeah, it would be a lot of and fun. I pati- yeah. yeah, participated <laughs> from year seven up to year 12. And in year 11, I had the honour of being the music captain for my house. Yeah, yeah. And what that involved was... Um, finding a song, teaching the song to the house, it was called the house choir. Yeah. And so then you performed at Sydney Town Hall, where all the parents yeah, came yeah. and everybody in the in the school community came to watch the it's called the music festival. Yeah. And lots of people, lots of talented musicians performed on the night. And yeah. so I was the captain for my house. And I was conducting our house choir song at mm. Town Hall. Mm. And the reason that I think of that, and I'm even getting goosebumps thinking about it, the reason that I raised this as my first experience of inspired leadership is that I went somewhere else during that experience. I completely was in so much joy and just so much relishing the moment and people were singing and it was almost as though the joy was contagious. And so the people who were singing were in joy and I was in joy. And that to me is inspired leadership. When the joy that you're feeling for the initiative that you are partaking in is so contagious that the people around you can't help but also feel joy and inspiration. And as a result of that joy, you are all moved to your greatest action. And so looking back on that, I'm not even conscious of, of what was going on in that moment because I was just completely lost in the joy of, of what was going on. But through that we were able to produce something really beautiful and, and make this amazing sound, which was which was the music. And so that was my experience, which is probably a little bit atypical um, because it was generally with leadership you think of, someone out the front or someone separate from but in that moment I almost felt like we became one everyone was part of this this same experience and this same collective energy Mm. and to me that's what leadership is about that somebody is so courageous or or so lost in a feeling that's positive that everybody wants to to come along for the journey yeah yeah so I I guess they're my two my two I
0: mean I've these uh, these are podcasts, so it's only audio, but I wish people could see your enthusiasm and joy now, as you're telling me.
1: <laughs> could, could, my could, my could. hands waving and gesticulating <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so it's
0: still, and it's kind of, um, I didn't interrupt you as you were saying the, the second one in particular, but um, the, re- the Courage to Lead interview series is about finding leaders who shine a light, uh, to shine a light on leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive environments where people can do their absolute best. You Mm. just described that. You just described Mm. that. Yeah. (laughs) You create create an environment in that town hall where everyone was inspired um, and supported to do their absolute best.
1: Um, But isn't that funny because it wasn't even a conscious decision or process. I wasn't there thinking, how can I? And maybe this is something to get into about leadership instead of I wasn't there thinking, how can I create a supportive and inclusive environment? I was just accessing that part of myself. Yes. And so through that, I think, and I, this is what when I speak to a lot of leaders about how the way that they regulate themselves is, is picked up on by the people that they're leading. Yes, yes. So it's actually self-leadership for me is the most important aspect of leadership. So yes. where you go is where other people will go if if there is a chain of command or if there is a um, an organizational chart you need to work out where you're going and whether other people want to end up there yeah because as a leader your regulation will be will be picked up on by and absorbed by the people in your team
0: so true so so true i think um so many people. You know, we've, I don't know how. It, I think you're about the twentieth person person leader we've had on the show, and so many leaders, such as yourself, talk about having fun. Mm. Pray, pray, you know, if um, like some of the stuff that we do is so serious, but you can still have fun, mm. uh, and if you self regulate the environment, um, one of the one of the other things I I like to talk about is um I learned it a long time ago from a book. Um, Uh, an FBI investigator uh, and he said that um, as babies we can only communicate two things, comfort or discomfort. So I think as a leader I think you can either create a comfortable environment or uh, an uncomfortable environment Um, Mm. and if you create a comfortable environment you're in the town hall with the choir.
1: Mm, Um, Absolutely and uh, for me fun is a is a a a funny word because I was someone I was very conscientious and very quite serious So even the way that I have fun is still (laughs) is still serious and goal-directed so for me it's about because a lot of people that I speak to about fun because the research really does highlight that people who are working in novel environments Mm. do better so how can you create novelty in your environment and some people are open to fun and some people, so I was speaking to, I gave a, a, a talk at a conference of principals recently. Mm. And so to go in, if you think about the environment of a school, yes,
0: yes. is
1: a school fun? And I think a lot of people would probably, their instinct might be no, but you can actually create novelty. So it's yes. about ease. Is your environment natural to be in do people feel comfortable I think I think that dichotomy you've just set up of of comfort and discomfort is absolutely right because Mm -hmm. some people say well fun well we're not here to have fun you know now we're doing something serious like we're in a hospital or we're in a jail like I work with a lot of different cultures where they might balk at the idea of having fun and so it's about finding that language that speaks to every person is it is it about ease or uh, being natural or being inclusive, or or just a sense of comfort in the environment that's being created by the leader, but absolutely the leader does set the tone for that environment.
0: Yes, uh, you have just kind of. Well, I can end the interview now, but um, uh, but <laughs>
1: <right>. <laughs> have I jumped the gun. Been... <laughs> no, 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 not at
0: all, not at all. Um, and that's what I love about this this series is um, people such as yourself. It's not made up. It's just in your head. It's, it's, it's It rolls off your tongue because this is the way you live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's the beauty of, of interviewing someone such as yourself with the skills that you have. So I'm really curious, like, the interview normally goes in this direction. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you have, it's clear to anyone listening to you today, you have some serious skills. No, oh, okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Maybe uh, not clear uh, to me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think you're being very modest. because uh, I've read your books and I've read some a lot of the stuff that you do. So you you're being extremely modest there mm. and humble, which is a which is another leadership trait. But um <laughs> so I'd love to explore if you want to go there. Um sure. where did Ali come from? so um so
1: you have to get my parents on the on the podcast for that question so um yeah
0: so how far back i'm in in, in your hand so you know where like you've already said you've taken us back to the the six-year-old and the 11 and the year 11 person yes yes um so where like you from what i've read you're uh, a qualified solicitor a lawyer um, yep. and then and then you went into um psychology i think it was
1: so yeah so i i was a criminal lawyer and maybe it's best to start i think i've probably shared without even meaning to <laughs> I think I've probably shared the challenges of my personality and the strengths of my personality in the two examples that I've given. Yes, yes,
0: um,
1: yes. So the ch- I I don't know if it, yeah, maybe you can turn challenges into strengths, but maybe the the let's just call them the edges of my my inner world map. So mm-hmm. I guess on on the one hand, I've got a hyper responsible, very conscientious, very driven, goal-directed side of me, um, where I'm quite serious about achievement and what's next and all of that. That's quite a hard edge. And then yeah, the yeah. other side is just this unbridled joy and uh, inspiration and and love of people and connection and losing myself in the moment. And and those moments can be even ordinary. They don't have to be extraordinary. You can get yeah. lost in a conversation and the quality of connection. So I guess they're the two edges um, of of my personality I am probably getting too deep there but no no no, no. I, <laughs> I, I love so I love so you've okay that's what with the edges. that's yeah. the they're the raw materials I'm working with I guess and so then you go out into the world and I was I got into university, I did arts law at university, and I always loved the humanities, I loved words, I loved people, and so law seemed like a natural fit. But then as you go through a law degree, and I think I've spoken to a lot of people since who who also had the same experience, you get to the end of the law degree, and even though the the law is very interesting, at the end when you're deciding to specialise, a love of people is not necessarily compatible with a legal career. Um, It may be, it may be, but... I, I got to the point where I thought, oh, okay, I, I had some experiences with, um as a paralegal in corporate law settings, and I thought, that's not really for me. And then I realised, well, people-based law is either family or criminal. So I ended up getting a job as a, a prosecutor for the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so I did their graduate program, and and it was, looking back on that now, it's it was like putting your hand in the fire, in a way. Yes. Yeah. Because I didn't have any training in complex trauma. laws, is a really interesting degree because it's you're taught all the skills and you're taught all the laws, but no, and it, hopefully it's changed since then, but I, this is the early 2000s when I was at uni. Yeah. There, there was no emotional training and I think there's a lot of people who have suffered as lawyers because you yeah. are actually exposed to a lot of, and I'm, I'm sure all kinds of first responders are in the same boat, to be honest, because yeah. there's yeah. not a lot of training in this, and we've we've really become more aware of, of some of the, uh, these concepts in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I go into criminal law really with no training, no awareness, Of the emotional side of the job. And as you can probably appreciate, you're exposed to a lot of complex trauma. Now, because I was young and female, this is relevant. I was put on a lot of sexual assault cases yeah. because the victims were typically young and female. In fact, yeah. they were always young and female, not typically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the the idea was, and you know how these things are so casual in the office. Oh, look, we don't want to re-traumatize the victims. So they just kept putting me on sexual assault, child sexual assault cases. And initially I thought, okay, that's just my job. And I just went about that and I prepare the case, prepare the trial. And after a while. I started realising I I was becoming quite emotional about hearing these stories over and over again and the the level of detail that you need to go into in in those cases and the the words that need to be used. And I remember um, a few punctuated moments of fighting back tears in the course of a typical meeting. Mm. And then I thought this isn't, I don't think it's normal or appropriate to cry at work. And I didn't cry in front of anybody. But I didn't know, I also didn't want to be the sort of person that didn't cry hearing yeah. that story. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was a real dilemma. And I yeah. remember calling my then boyfriend, now husband,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> after that meeting in uh, tears. I read the story about him.
0: That's
1: yeah, <laughs> in tears. And, and I said to him, I, I'm just really upset. I've just heard this. And then he listened and I said, so what are you doing? And he said, peeling potatoes. Because he's a chef. Yeah, yeah. Right, and he said it with so much groundedness and lack of emotion—not not emotionless, but just how mm. people are at work, how they should yeah, be at work. Yeah. Just I'm doing this thing, and it's not having this really traumatic rep- uh, reaction in me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I just don't think I'm—I don't think I'm ro- right for this world. Yeah. And I remember saying to colleagues at the time, "How do you deal with this? How do you mm. deal with the work?" And they'd look at me and say, "Deal with what? What are you What are you talking they, they about? You, yeah, Just yeah. completely." And that in that moment, that was actually the beginning of my interest in connection types. So, which led to the book, the book, Click or Clash. So, I ended up feeling like a complete failure at that time. I was so lost. I was in my mid twenties. I'd done this six year law degree, and as um, I was a combined law degree, and then I'd become qualified as a solicitor only to put my hand in the fire and very quickly pull it out and realise I'm not cut out for this sort of work. Yeah. And I felt very ashamed because when you spend this time investment doing something to not end up being good at it, I thought I wasn't good at it. Um, and, you know, to this day, I miss I miss law. No, I miss the, the, the mental exercise of it. I miss, uh, I loved evidence. I uh, I And, in fact, last week I gave a talk to my friend from university's criminal law firm, defence yeah, law firm. Yeah, yeah. And I came as, as their speaker at their conference and I still have my practising certificate. And you know I said to him, I'd really love to go back and volunteer at a community legal centre. Yeah. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to go Lovely. into his firm and just observe for a while and upskill and get to the point where my skills are in a place where I feel like I can advise people again. Okay. And Definitely. so it feels like full circle in a way because now knowing what I now know, I can protect myself better. Yes. But anyway, so I ended up. Can I, so can I, can I just make leaving. a comment? Can yeah, I make please,
0: a comment please. There? please. Um, um, I don't know whether you know, I'm a, a, you've, I don't know whether you've had a chance to read. So I'm a, yeah. a police officer for 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 years, detective, done a lot of work with the, deep, the director of prosecutions yes. from, from the Sydney office. But what I particularly love, and I normally wouldn't interrupt a, a guest. No, but, please, um, please do. Uh, but I love, um, and this is what's so special about people such as yourself, um, you're in a job that you, you thought you wanted to do. You cared deeply about it. Uh, it was hurting you as a young person. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of police. There's a lot of other people that do exactly that. They know it's hurting them, but they keep going. Mm. <laughs> uh, you had the you had the courage to 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 say this is not working for me and and went in a different direction which I think is um not many people have that have that that aware self-awareness that...
1: yeah but I I don't know I'm 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 thank you for saying that I don't know if it was courage so this is where I think privilege comes into these conversations as well right
0: privilege, okay.
1: so I'm I'm one of five children, and I come from a very, uh, what would I say, upper middle class, very, very, most people would call very privileged background. Yeah. Um, my dad's a cardiologist. My mom was home with us. We had everything we needed uh, in terms of our physical needs and our emotional needs. Yeah. So yeah. when I get to a situation like that, in the back of my mind. Yeah how much and i did i wasn't again conscious of this but now again looking back on that how much of what what's going on in my mind is if if push comes to shove if if i really if something really doesn't work out i'll just go back and live with mum and dad
0: yeah okay just
1: for a while so yeah. i was living i was out of home and i was paying rent and everything like that and absolutely i remember talking to my mum around that time and saying all this stuff and saying i i'm I'm not liking this and I feel like I'm having this traumatic reaction. I'm getting symptoms in my body. This is not good for me. And she was really direct about it. She said, look, Ali, you're a very proactive person. Do something about it.
0: So it was also
1: that feedback from her. You know, you don't, I could have had a parent at that time say, well, you know, you work for this and this is normal and you should stay in this this is life. And she didn't say that. She said, you're proactive, do something. She also didn't direct me about what to do. She just empowered me. And so I did absolutely, I went back to university, but I also got a job as a university tutor where I had 10 classes So I had to work in order to pay the rent and in order to make up for the fact that I wasn't working full-time anymore, I had to overcompensate and I had 10 classes that I was teaching a week, which Mm. was 250 students a week that I was teaching. And then I had to do the marking. (laughs) So, So I remember, and back then nothing was digital. So I remember the piles of green university essays that would just be there. And I remember I had moved in with my husband at that point and he was working in the restaurant a lot and he'd come home and say oh my gosh are you <laughs> kidding me like that that looks horrible so yes there was some proactivity on on my part and that's part of my personality but also i think i need to ignore i don't i don't want to shame anyone who stays in a job that's hurting them because in the back of their mind they they might be it you know so they might be thinking well i am the only person that i can rely on i have to pay the rent there's no other choice and i wonder if the the privilege of an upbringing like mine and i don't like that word privilege because it becomes yes, so toxic yes, but yeah. the 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 gifts that i had of of a beautiful family and my physical needs being met gave me the courage you yes. know, like how do we break down courage? Is yeah, courage yeah. just I have a plan B if this all if this all yes. doesn't turn out? Yeah. Um so yes, I think you're very kind to say that it was my courage, but I also think there's a, a deeper story underneath that to say, well, no, I I had a safety net. Yes. You know, in the tight in the tight rope of life, I had a net, a yes. very strong net under me. And for people who might not have as strong a net or no net. I can understand why they might cling on to that rope. Oh,
0: totally, totally, and, and I, I hope I, I love your answer to that, So I won't even make make a comment about it. Um, other than that, what what I might say is, uh, you you kind of you touched on it in your answer when you were talking to your mum. Um, like I'm I'm feeling trauma. I'm feeling upset. My body's doing stuff. Um yeah, yeah. and that's and that stuff because like, you you're. I know you do work with the change room as well with um, Matt Elliott and and all that crew. Um, So a lot of those things, like you're just taking us in these different directions where I didn't expect (laughs) you to take us. But (laughs) but but that's but that's trauma. Like if if work if you're crying at work, and and you had the self awareness to realise that my body's doing things that it normally doesn't do.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing was was, people
0: don't talk about that.
1: I was going to I went to the doctor at that time. And there was nothing that could be identified as being wrong. So I had yes. these symptoms that I'd never had before, you know, just weird things like stomach pain and headaches and things that were sort of global in nature, like nothing specific, but they were they were just they were uncomfortable for me. Yeah, so and yeah. uncomfortable enough that I, I sought medical advice about it. But if you think about, it, and you would be so familiar with this, the nature of of a um, a police station or a courtroom everybody is is highly aroused in the psychological sense, so emotionally aroused, Mm -hmm. which means that everyone's on high alert. Probably a lot of people are in fight or flight or freeze. They're having an automatic response and everybody else is at least elevated in their Mm -hmm. response. Everyone's on, you know, Mm -hmm. and hypervigilant. So just being in that environment, I realised I was absorbing so much of of that trauma. And so, so after I left, I ended up, studying it was almost like my life went from one path to splitting off into lots of different paths mm. i i studied coaching because i became really interested in human behavior i studied coaching with a clinical psychologist and he was the person who said to me you are actually showing signs of vicarious trauma yeah. and i said "And this is 2007 i said what like what is yeah. that <laughs> vicarious trauma yeah. um and that was when i was introduced to these concepts of wow at work you can develop all sorts of responses that affect you I think back then in the early 2000s late 90s no one thought about emotions being contagious or Mm. if if I hear your story in great detail and you're crying as you share that story and I have a strong empathetic response to that there's a part of your story that's going to come into my my story as well Mm. we're now were now combined in a way and I just we didn't understand any of that so I started studying human behavior and coaching on the one hand and I also went back and did a master's at UNSW at the same time as teaching so I really did respond to my perception that I'd gotten it wrong or failed in as a lawyer by kind of overcompensating and going into overdrive to work out what was right for me. So I didn't know where to go, but I just knew I'd gone in the wrong direction and I had to take a turn.
0: Can we go there? Um you you said that a couple of times now, and I think so many of us in a leadership journey um will think what you just said. You you said I had failed. Mm. And people people are looking at you now. She hasn't failed. What are you talking about? Um mm. but um
1: But there was but a so, strong sense at that time so, that I was to, a failure in my own head. In my own, there was no one talk- else saying it.
0: What were you doing to yourself and and what did that feel? What were those feelings that you'd failed?
1: I think it was now that I look back on it, it was the overdrive. You know, it was the like I probably, probably didn't breathe for a few years. I probably didn't breathe deeply. I had a really compulsive attitude to what I was doing. But looking back on it, how great. Yes. Sometimes those parts of our lives when you go off in a different direction. And I think that's almost appropriate for your 20s when you're you're searching yes. so yeah. much, so deeply, so uh, vigorously for for where you belong. Mm. And I was looking for that. And yeah, I, I think it took me a while to feel comfortable in the on the new path because I was also very aware that I had strayed, there was this narrative not only about failing, I guess it it was less about being a failure but more about straying from the well-worn path and going off into the jungle with a machete. Yeah. So I guess that's a better way of saying it. Rather than me having failed, I had left the path, left the the predictable path, and that scared me. So it wasn't so much as thinking as as being down on myself or negative, it was more just about being scared because it was so uncharted what I was doing. I'd gone off on my own. No, I had no guarantee that I'd be successful. You know, if you, if you stay being a lawyer, there's sort of a social guarantee built into that. If you stay doing this over time, you will grow in your success. Um, There was no guarantees about Mm -hmm. what I was doing. So yeah, it was very much, it felt like I'd taken a huge risk.
0: Yeah. But let's let's go there now. So you you're go, going your own path. What's
1: what's yeah. next? Uh, what, so what's yeah. Next? So I studied okay. So at the same time, on and as a lot of people might say when they go on their own path, it was also really exciting because the coaching that I was doing and the ideas that I was being exposed to were, were really lighting me up. So I for the first time felt like I was learning something of great value. And uh I I was I felt redeemed by that. I loved teaching at university, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. So really felt at home as an educator. Uh, I felt I, w- I was also struck by the difference in the culture of a university versus a courtroom. Yeah, You know, you think about a university, everyone yeah. there has potential and promise a lot of people are relaxed a lot of people it's the halcyon days of a lot of people's lives because they don't yet have crushing responsibilities or a Mm. huge debt or anything like that so yeah it was a it was a real marked contrast for me so I ended up doing a PhD in group dynamics because that almost brought together my experiences in the courtroom my experiences being a part of a big family one of five children And this love of and huge passion for human behaviour. So I ended up doing that PhD and that kind of felt a little bit like, okay, here I have a home now. I've found a new path. And uh, so at the end of the PhD, I think I finished it with two weeks to go before I had my first baby. And okay. yeah. it's it's a really I, I would say to anyone who's considering study, if you can organize a pregnancy, sure. <laughs> it's an excellent deadline. Yeah. Um so yeah, having the deadline growing inside you, noticing that you have to move back from the desk a little bit to type, mm. <laughs> it's a it's a good way to, it's a good motivator. Um yeah. and then I had uh my first baby, and as anyone will know who's had children or who's had to look after children, it really does t- turn your life sideways. Um, mm. And it was when he was asleep in the next room, so after the first six months were over, you know how you just basically horizontal for six months, yeah, asking yeah. yourself what just happened to my life and my sanity, yeah. when you actually get back up. And for some people it's six weeks or six days or some people at six months, some people at six years, you know, however, w- whatever experience you had. I remember thinking I can't leave the house because he's asleep in the next room um i've done the washing i've had a shower (laughs) (laughs) there was nothing like that to do there's nothing practical to do and i remember he he at that time was sleeping for about two hours and i thought what do i want to do you know this is actually a huge opportunity here for freedom and i'd finished this phd and i thought i want to write i just want (laughs) to write with no one marking it Yeah. I wanna write. And so I sat down, and I started writing a journal that no one would ever read. And yep. um as I started writing, because I do that every day when he was asleep. Yeah. And, and also I've heard someone say, someone was reading out a bio the other day when I was about to speak and they said, she wrote a book while her son was asleep in the next room. Like that sounds, (laughs) that sounds really misleading. This was over the course of a couple of years and it was a huge process, but it was really that time of stillness and silence and being confronted with self, uh, where I asked myself the question, well, what do you actually, how do you want to live? What do you want out of life? You know, forget achievement. Yeah. What about alignment? What are your values and who do you want to be and what's your legacy? And you have this beautiful child now and he's your priority. So in that small amount of time that you have away from him, how do you want to spend that? You know, it almost took work took on this grander proportion for me because I realized that whatever I was putting my energy into, it needed to be as important to me as my child.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: because I thought, well, the only thing that could take me away from my child would have to be something really important to me. yeah. Um, and so that's when I started, yeah, I started writing the book. And then over time, I thought maybe other people have gone through this. Maybe mm. this is something quite universal, because I was talking about things that I think a lot of people experience, you mm. know, the sense of never being in the moment and needing to have a different relationship with myself and needing to get out of negative thought patterns. And that's when my first book was written called Get Conscious. And that was all about how to stop overthinking and come alive. Uh, So that came out in 2017. And then I started working with organizational cultures which leads us to for anyone who's actually still listening um, <laughs> <I'm sure
0: laughs> they, they, are. Yeah, they might this be relieved is, this is riveting. This is riveting. To,
1: they might be relieved to know that this story is now coming to some kind of a, an end um, th- yeah then I started being asked people are much smarter than I am a lot of the time because I create these things and I have no idea of how they're going to be used or applied. And then people get in touch with me and say, I've got this idea. Can you do this for me? And then I think, okay. oh, that's that's very clever. Yeah, sure. And I started increasingly being asked to to speak for organizational cultures or to do coaching. Yeah. Uh, and I was also at the time working at university. So it was a really nice blend of the the teaching and the consulting and the coaching.
0: Do you want to give a like yeah, I've read your, I've been on your website, you've got all these wonderful, high, well-known companies that that are testimonial to what to what you just talked about. Do you want to give mm-hmm. one specific example where where there, I think you refer to it as a linkage, someone approached you, I can see you can help us with this, do you want to do this? Um, do you want to give us an example of what that looked like? like-
1: uh, of, of someone coming up with an idea of how, how they wanted me to work with them?
0: Yeah, and what and yeah. like
1: the outcome was, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, well, very early on, people just, see, the idea of culture being important, this is a very new concept. We, we need to remember this. It's the,
0: like, it's the key, though, isn't it? Really?
1: This was 2015, yeah. and people yeah. weren't even acknowledging that culture was a thing let alone yeah. important, an important thing. Yeah. Uh, so people were still, you know, Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. People yeah. were still eating strategy for breakfast and nothing else yes. back then. Yes. Um. So to be somebody who was interested in culture and relationships at work, it felt very niche and very progressive. It almost felt a little bit uh, fringe to be talking yeah. about yeah. these ideas of how people got on at work because it was still very much of the era and by era i'm referring to 8 years ago where yes, yes. people thought i don't need you to feel good at work i just mm. need you to get your job done
0: yes and
1: this has exploded i'd say from about 2015 onwards
0: yes yeah
1: uh where people have started to say okay well maybe how you feel at work is a little bit important because all the research came out around productivity being linked to inclusion and fun and happiness and yes being part of a team and so all this research started emerging around team dynamics and people realized how important that and and then it was almost like it it exponentially grew it went from being a niche idea to something that everybody needed and um and everybody was interested in and at that time that was when I took all of the research and everything I'd ever done it felt like and put together this model of connection and because all of the people that I was consulting with I realized so I'd go into these organizations and I'd meet people and coach them and in my head, i I had these categories for people that I had never written down or talked about, but that's it was almost my way of organizing them. yeah,
0: yeah, and I
1: started seeing these patterns emerging in the people that I was meeting. And so that's when I created the model of connection types because I realized everyone connects differently. Yeah. And I also started identifying in the research that the most important factor in psychological well-being is belonging. Yeah. And people feeling like a, a, that they strongly belong—that's the key. Now, in order to feel like you strongly belong, you need to be able to connect safely and comfortably, yeah. and actively and animatedly in in whatever culture you're in. So, how does that happen? That they were all the questions that I was asking. So you can now see in the in the narrative a very much a. I'd lost that kind of oh, am I okay? Am I am I a failure? Have I got it wrong? Am I on the right path? Am I... I, I lost that, and yeah. I because I started getting this feedback from people. This is important. Yes. This is really important for us. When we get it wrong, people leave. We have uh, complaints in our workplace. Yeah. We have people who are getting bullied. Uh, there were some really strong consequences for getting this stuff wrong, and people were suddenly realizing how important these yeah. work relationships are and and so then to your question before of give some examples um then we had covid and i remember being approached by google australia and they were wanting to identify how happy people were working from home for example mm. and And so I was able to use my model, so there's an an assessment to do with that and um, data that I collect, to work out who was happy working from home and who wasn't happy working from home. So who do we need to intervene with in the culture? And some really interesting data around that and and then talking to people about ways to connect even if you're physically distant. Mm. So there was a strong theme of that during COVID. And I've read since that COVID and, and the ensuing changes around workplace flexibility have been the greatest change to our working environments since the industrial revolution Mm. so we are all living through so much incredible change and it's moving so fast like when a when a train goes past the station that's not stopping and you just you're just seeing it almost as a blur that's how we're experiencing life at the moment but we're on the train but also watching the train and so i think now it's it's come from it's gone from people acknowledging that workplace culture is important and has re- very real impacts on the work and on people's well-being it's gone from that to then feeling like you're just holding on for dear life like tell me what to do in my culture yeah, because yeah, i i don't know yeah. what's right anymore i don't know a lot of people don't know what to say anymore they don't know whether they're allowed to to uh make to dictate flexibility or or say mm-hmm. when people need to be in the office. Yeah, so it's this incredible move now to a please tell me, please advise me on on what to do next. Yeah. And now i what where I find myself spending most of my time is either in the the conference talks, you know speaking about these these ideas or designing leadership programs for organisations that don't just want a talk or a, a one-off coaching session or a workshop or a seminar. They actually want annual programs now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where I spend most of my time now is in designing these programs and then running the program for an entire year so people actually get to really transform so it's it's almost gone from workplace culture being an idea, come and give us, come and talk to us, to workplace culture being we need to coach people and invest in these people and invest in leadership programs, uh, so that we can grow our culture.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, um, and I love you're so. It's funny the words you use. I think you said um, niche, progressive, fringe. Um, and culture eats bread uh, uh strategy, strategy for breakfast, uh, from yeah. Peter Drucker. yeah, we're now um, like I'm reading things now and in, in our in our current in the two thousand and twenty three that um, there's psychosocial legislation being in, yes. in, in, introduced into um into all the state uh, work health and safety stuff, yeah. and, and some companies are being left behind. and some people are really um. Uh, I interviewed someone else on this program, and their their workplace had been nominated for the best workplace award uh, five years in a row because mm. they they're, they're so they're so focused on getting the culture right. Um, and and so, people
1: making choices to work in places like that for that reason now.
0: Yes, yeah. So your um where you're at is is quite beautiful. Um, thank you really so much for kind of highlighting that part of it. So. We're virtually probably pretty well up to your book. Um, your book on the front cover, ha- inside the front cover, has what I don't know what you call the QR code to to do that. Ality is is the is the, A-L-I-T-Y is the name yep. of your company. Yep, um, yep. Connection type model, and mm-hmm. it, it only takes fifteen minutes to do, and it's yep. quite enlightening. Um, out, out of that, so I'll just give a bit of a plug for you there. Um, but uh, so. Let's go to the book now. Um, what? So, if I, the book says it's click, click or clash, discover the new connections and comp- compatibility types that will transform your relationships in love, friendship, and work. So, we, we, We've only got probably ten minutes left, so I don't I probably don't want to talk about the book too much. But mm-hmm. what did you? Because uh, we want people to read the book, and so yeah, they yeah, can yeah. go. They, they can go to your site and let me commend you on your site. I've never seen such an organ, and if you, as you say, you're very organised. Oh well, seen... that's actually <laughs>
1: nothing to do with me. I'll pass that on to my marketing um, team, and they will be very happy to hear uh, that.
0: I've, I've never seen a, a page where you can buy the book, whichever. Uh, publisher you want to go to like whichever ah, distributor yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very 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 clever um what did you learn about yourself writing that book because you've already written a couple oh, this is your third book i think isn't it yeah this is the yeah, third so, book so so it, it, it doesn't get past where you're learning about what you're about yourself writing or or did this book actually open up something in yourself that you didn't know was there
1: hmm wow no one ever asked that <laughs> they just <laughs> ask about the book uh i think this one was this one felt different because I was talking about the book I was giving workshops and and talks on this book since 2016 and it was published in 2023. Okay. So in fact 2016 is when I actually no no no, no 2016 my second son was born. 2018 is when this model was created and I started speaking widely about it. So between 2018 and 2021 I was giving workshops on this. So it was already very much alive for me. Mm. The the book was a process of writing it down. Mm. And so I almost felt a sense of impatience about this book yeah. because it was already there out in the world and evolving yeah. and changing. and And so there was sense in me of come on come on (laughs) I want to just get this in writing so more people can experience it
0: yeah
1: uh I was excited about this book because I I could see in its connection to the world when I was talking about it it would light something up in people so I You know that feeling when you have good news that you want to share with people or or something that you really want to say to a friend that you know that they'll like? That's the experience I had. So I was almost a little bit, come on, come on, come on, yeah, (laughs) writing it out. And I'd already created the reports for each type because for the assessment to work, when you – when you complete the assessment, you're given two results.
0: Your first one is
1: your current connection type. Your your second one is your preference, your preferred connection type. So I'd already prepared the reports for each type, which they're they're included in the book as well. So Mm. this book felt, yeah, it was, it was, partly written in some ways and then I was impatient to get it out in other ways and then it just felt alive Mm. so I know I'm not answering your question really you said what did I learn about myself I learned about how hard it is to write a book whilst working full-time and having two children (laughs) Mm. Mm. um that that was really hard I I yeah because in a way I almost felt like it it existed and this book was almost just getting it down on paper um but Yes, I don't know. I don't even know if I have a, an answer to that. Well, I, I guess I just cemented my love of, of book, creating a book um, to share with the world and putting that out into the world. It, it almost felt like I'd uh, grown up as an author.
0: Well, I think you've just answered it. <laughs> <So> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and it's a pleasure to, um, like, you're really switched on and, you know, in your head it just rolls off you. But it acts, that that question actually stumped you. you it went, did.
1: Ooh. You stumped me because no <laughs> one ever asks you what they, they ask you about the book and the ideas in the book, not about you as a yeah. as a the writer of the book. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. That's really nice actually. Um the, the second question is we've still got time. Second question is what do you want a reader to take out of it?
1: Mm. This this book changed my okay. All right. So you know how you ask me what I learned about myself as a as writing the book i guess it i guess i have an answer to what i learned about myself in creating the model would so to me they were two separate things it changed my life this book changed my life because i realized for example every every single relationship i'd ever had could be put through this lens yeah. of who i am and who the other person was i realized why i was affected by a courtroom much more than say my colleagues were at the time why there could be a police officer in the courtroom with me making a joke when the offender was la- was shouting or screaming at us
0: from yeah, the dock? Yeah, you know, he yeah. the
1: police officer's leaning into me and saying, "I think he's talking to you and making a joke,"
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. there
1: going, "Don't act like you know me," because I was <laughs> so affected by what was going on.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so this connection model explained for me why I'd always had the emotional responses that I'd had. So what I want a reader what I hope for a reader is is for the same experience that they can understand their connection type and then put every relationship they've ever had through the lens of their connection type. So I have had the most incredible emotional feedback from people. I don't I don't want people to say, "Oh my gosh, your book was so great." I want people to say, "I now understand so I was adopted, this is what someone, a, a man yeah. said to me once after yeah. my workshop, I was adopted and I now understand why my adoptive family react in the way that they do and I may have had different reactions. Um, it's not me. you yeah. know. I'm, I'm not going to take it personally anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, so people don't feel like they belong sometimes because they're connecting differently to other people in the group or other people yeah. in the environment. And this model explains to you why that is how there's nothing wrong with you, how there's no right or wrong connection type. The model also identifies your leadership type. Mm. So for anyone sitting there listening to this and it's obviously a leadership podcast thinking, oh, no, I'm not a leader. You are a leader. Everyone yeah. is a leader and you yeah. just need to find your style and your style is linked to your connection approach, your connection type. So I want this I want this book to set off a firework in someone's mind that as they're reading it it sort of the lights the match and then sh- sh- woo, you know and the, and the fireworks go off and people then just experience themselves in a way that they've never experienced themselves before mm.
0: that's um that's really a beautiful way of uh just describing it uh and uh, you've nailed it absolutely nailed it <laughs> uh, and what i love um a lot of leaders, uh, and probably I think one of the things I sent you, um, like in my in my policing life, I spent the last 15 years at least doing leadership workshops because I wanted to create that spark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get what you're I, I get what you're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. People people in your in your world, um, and in our world probably, um, want to create the spark for people to, to see what's possible. That's what that's what I really love about what you're talking about today. Um, There's one little thing I read in your, and I don't know whether you intentionally did it. um, In your acknowledgement section, you talk about you talk about different relationships and. I think you might have been talking about your father-in-law. You had 10 years years of, I forget what the word was. An instant clash, 10 years of an instant
1: clash, yes. Do Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, he's so beautiful. So we first met 16 years ago and I didn't have the model then, but I knew he didn't like me or I felt that he didn't like me. That was my story at the time. You know when you meet someone and... Yeah, yeah and he was sort of trying to i was having asking him questions you know how long have you lived in the area and things like that this is on our first meeting and he was almost uh or just finding a way to remove himself from <laughs> From the conversation. And I thought I was, I was, this was unprecedented for me because I love connecting with people and I love understanding them and getting to know them. And so he had this really different approach to connection. And I now know from my book that he's a low frequency, low intensity type, meaning he's quite introverted and quite reserved. And he takes time to trust and open up. And so over the course of of years, many years, I saw that process happened very gradually and sometimes it would catch me by surprise because he might ask me a question or or make a joke in my presence and i remember saying to my husband your dad's being nice to me (laughs) (laughs) like with no reason why Uh, because in my head i just thought oh we're just incompatible i didn't understand the the dynamic and so when i had my connection type model i realized oh okay i'm high frequency high intensity i like a lot of connection i like to connect through talking he's lo- he's the op- he's my opposite on the mm. on the connection model which is why we have in my language an instant clash which doesn't mean that you really dislike each other it just means that it's almost like trying to light a wet match yeah and you just feel like i'm putting all this effort in nothing's happening Uh, so recently I said to him, do you know that for the first 10 years of knowing you, I just thought you didn't like me. And he said, what makes you think I like you now? (laughs) (laughs) And he has a very dry sense of humor, but since I now have the model and I don't take it personally, he and I have the most beautiful connection. So I, in my head, when I'm making a, a big life decision now, I think to myself, what would he do? Because he is very intelligent, very strategic, very wise, very loyal, an amazing provider. So he's not demonstrative.
0: Yeah.
1: he's he's not an uh, overly animated connector, but he has all these incredible strengths that and the model and writing that book has actually revealed to me what everybody's strengths are. and it, so it gives me a new found love of of different personality types. But he and I now have taken that, well, in my language, instant clash, into this really deep mutual respect. And Wonderful. and from my end, he's not being interviewed here, but I'm going to say a love as well. I yeah. I love him, and and so it's taken a lot more time, and it's probably been a more circuitous route to get there. Uh, but we now have this this beautiful respect for each other that that wasn't an instant respect. And, and so it's just it just shows that someone doesn't have to be like you in order for you to connect with them. Yeah, and so exactly. I think that's a, a really nice message for leaders who are striving to connect with the people they work with because you can't always choose people who are like you. It's not yes. and, and that doesn't lead to the best outcomes anyway. The best outcomes come from diversity yes and and so it's actually about, Looking actively for the the jewels, the the strength uh, in in somebody else's connection.
0: Yeah, no, you've um, I think that's a really good place to end the interview because um, uh, you you've nailed it, absolutely nailed it. And that's a pretty personal example at the end. So I'll just give you, I'll give you a your model a bit of a plug right at the end. Okay, so, thank you. So, yeah. uh, so so I did the model. Um, as, as it's uh, you you do the QR code. In, in the inside cover of the Click and Clash book, written by Dr. Ali Author and uh, Ali Walker, um, and my personality uh, connection type came back as a Dawn type. So, when, so, so, so when you read all about that, it says some, somewhere in there it says um, you're a person who likes to shine a light on other other leaders, other people. Now uh, you say it such more eloquently than I do, but I just couldn't like I couldn't believe. How did you? How did you know? Because nah. um, the 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 courage to lead interview series podcast series starts off with shining a light on leader on leaders who empower others.
1: Oh, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So well, it's, it's, yeah, and the the assessment is very much self it's directed by you it's it's questions along the lines of how many conversations do you have per day and how many would you like to have so it's it's not as though the algorithm it's not like there's a, some chat gpt fairy in there or wizard inside your brain it's just you feed in all of these inputs based on your preferences mm. and it reveals your connection type
0: yeah so that's, yeah. A, that's a good way to finish it so ali um how do people get your book and how, oh, do they well, provide, and how do they like I would anticipate if I was listening to this um, I'd want to hire you straight off um, to <laughs> how, how do I get Ali into my into my organization to improve the culture So sure, how do they, how do they access you?
1: So the, my website's the best starting point. awalker.co is the site. Uh, so awalker.co for my personal website, and there's a contact form on that site where people can get in touch with me directly. And also my business or company website is alitylife.com, which is A-L-I-T-Y life.com, and that has information on the assessments we've been talking about today. If you go to my personal site, it has information on when you can where you can get the book as well, and it's in... It's in most bookshops still. It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was in yeah. one yesterday, and I had I had to buy a few because um there's my local bookshop that I go to to buy so whenever I'm I'm doing a workshop or I might give away books, so I have to go in and buy some of the book. And the lady behind the counter, she said, "You're Ali Walker, aren't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> because I've come in a few times, yeah. um so she knows that because I always buy you know five or ten copies at a time. Um yeah, so it's it's good. It's it's in most of the bookshops still if anyone's interested.
0: Okay, well done. Can I just say thank you? Um, you you, you like a lot of leaders um, on the show, but uh, you've knocked it out of the park. You're oh, thank you, you're, Alan. You're a, beautiful, you're a beautiful person. Your message is so simple. Um, and thank you for sharing it with all the listeners today. Thank oh, you. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. Wonderful.
0: Like all of the expert leaders we have on the Courage to Lead interview series, These leaders really know their stuff. I'll summarise some of the stuff that uh, Ali talked about, as she covered so much in such a simple way. Workplace culture needs to be coached as an ongoing process. You just can't forget about it. It always needs to be worked on. Flexibility in the workplace since COVID is one of the biggest changes for the industrial world. And change is just a given. We have to embrace change and work with it. One of the most important factors in a workplace for human beings is to belong and feeling safety connected with others. And one of the best best outcomes for a workplace is diversity. And this is where Ali Walker's book, Click or Clash, comes into it. Click or Clash explores how to navigate the different connection types and different personalities that we all have. In the front of the book, Click or Clash, there is a QR code It takes you to a questionnaire that identifies what your own connection and personality type is. It's relatively simple to do and only takes about no longer than 10 to 15 minutes to complete. And it sets you up to read the book. So thank you, Ali, for sharing your knowledge about how crucial culture is to any workplace. And listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, thank you.